Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Schechter, CEO and founder of SelfMade. Happy New Year to you. We've been on a bit of a hiatus with SelfMade Stories as we've been developing a blog and perfecting our own distribution channels. So if you haven't already, go check it out, blog.selfmade.co. And check out highlights on our Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We are really thinking about how to share more broadly what we're doing on SelfMade Stories. And today is a great example of why. We've got Adam Schwartz, the CEO of T Public, advisor to Bombas, and just an all-around, extremely knowledgeable guy when it comes to e-commerce. This is a great episode. In part one, we're going to talk with Adam about entrepreneurship, what it means to him, how he manages his team using OKRs and KPIs, the necessity of diving deep into a problem and committing yourself to solving it. And in general, we're going to get some of the wisdom that is Adam Schwartz. Here we go. Welcome to Self-Made Stories. I'm here today with Adam Schwartz, and I can't wait to dive into the conversation to get Adam's perspective on all things e-commerce. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great. So, Adam, take us through um, just your career uh, in e-commerce real fast, and then we're going to go back to the beginning of your life and learn about that. I'd say my career in e-commerce has like three primary points. Like One is... Uh, I started a company called Source for Style, um, now called Lesuk, which is a B2B marketplace, e-commerce marketplace, where sustainable fashion designers could source textiles from suppliers. Sort of went through like you know the whole early stage start a company, raise money thing, um, and it sort of worked in a very minimal, not great way. <laughs> um, th- and then moved on to phase two, which was Busted Tees. Um, which was an existing brand that was part of the College Humor and Vimeo family and owned by IAC. And along with my uh, partner, Josh Abramson, we bought that business out of IAC, fairly small uh, direct-to-consumer e-commerce brand, and ran that for a couple of years. And then out of Busted Tees Phase 3 was that we, we incubated uh, tpublic.com out of Busted Tees, which is an e-commerce marketplace where independent artists... Um, can sell their work on apparel and home goods and art prints to uh, to consumers, and we handle all their production and fulfillment. Um, and uh, that business uh, ended up becoming much more successful ultimately than Busted Tees. Um, and I've been uh, running that for the past six years and sold it uh, actually one year ago this week to Redbubble. Wow, one year ago this week. Yeah. Cool. Congratulations on the one year anniversary. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and so was Busted Tees a marketplace as well? Busted Tees was a traditional okay. online brand. Um, but, but yeah, like direct to consumer brand, we were doing all the design, you know, making all the product. It was basically, it started. Uh, as the e-commerce arm of College Humor. So the College Humor writing staff would come up with jokes uh, that we would turn into products. Um, And then when we bought it back, we still worked with College Humor, but we also worked with Funny or Die and SNL and like Upright Citizens Brigade writers. And we would just, we would basically turn jokes into products. Were you at IAC? I spent some time at IAC while we were working on getting Busted Teeth out of it. What enabled you to buy Busted Tees from IAC? Did you raise money for that? So my partner on Busted Tees and co-founder on Tee Public, Josh Abramson, founded College Humor, Vimeo, and Busted Tees. Sold those to IAC. Five years later, he was coming towards the end of his vest, which is when he and I met, and he said, I, I would like to take this business with me when I go. Um, it's profitable, though it's growing negatively, um, and IAC does not care about it. 
Um, and so he was able to structure a deal to get it out, knowing that they, knowing that they were happy to see it go. Um, and basically, he was able to parlay part of what was his his acquisition deal into a deal to, to, to help us get Busted Tees out. You guys became like co-founders again of Busted Tees, or was it so just not even matter? I was the COO of Busted Tees, okay. so I was like a hired gun for Got Busted Tees. Yeah. So COO of Busted Tees into co-founder of Tea Public. That's right. And what was the name of the first marketplace? Source for Style. When was that? Probably 2009. And it was, and it was how to source sustainable fabrics? Yeah, so if you were a brand um, and you wanted to, you're, you're a clothing brand, and you want to source uh, textiles for your, for your line and you want them to be you know, sustainable, sustainably sourced, ethically sourced, um, that was and actually remains to be a very challenging sourcing challenge. Sourcing is difficult no matter what, uh, getting the right textiles to, 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 to fit with your sort of creative ideas. Um, doing it sustainably is hard. And, and the, the sort of information around, well, what really is a sustainable textile and who are the good actors and who are the bad actors is pretty, uh, pretty in the weeds. And so it was a marketplace where you could you know, order samples and ultimately we would facilitate relationships between those brands and, and suppliers. And what led you to create that? Uh, I was at an agency where I was doing uh, social media sort of growth marketing cons- you know, work. This is early 20s? Yeah, this was my first job. And so my, my first, so I, I got to New York. It's kind of funny. I got to New York. I went to um, this PR agency uh, who, they were advertising, I think, um, they were advertising an internship or something to, to work at their PR agency. And I was like, I used that to just get a meeting with them. And I said, look, um, I think that that you should upsell your clients on social media marketing and growth marketing, your PR clients. Um, social media, mar- it's going to be something that they want from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they literally laughed at me and said, Twitter is a fad. Our, nobody cares. That's not a thing. But I'm like 22. <laughs> and they said, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you around. If anybody wants it, like you can do it. Um, and... And one of the clients was this woman, Summer Rain Oaks, who wrote this book about sustainable fashion and was a was in the sustainable fashion space. Um, her and I got to talking via via that relationship, um, and she 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 told me about the problems the problem set, um, and I was. I was sort of predisposed. I was interested in the environmental space and and was trying to find something in the environmental space uh, when I when I, I was trying to find like a solar company or something to work for, um, and so when she told me about it, um, we it started like all very like two thousand and six. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw an inconvenient truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and New York is such a bad place to do that. I mean, there were, there was nothing in like green tech here. Uh, then and barely now, but definitely not then. Um, and so I was like, "Oh, this is this is a this is a way." You know, I, I see a um, I see a way that we could solve this through through a digital marketplace. And I was already I'd already had my head around tech startups and was was had gotten myself involved in the New York tech community. Um, so so everybody that I was hanging out with and the way that I was thinking about the world was was via like you entrepreneurship. know t- entrepreneurship startups, the internet. So I wanted to understand where the entrepreneurial sort of um, pulse comes from, but go back even further. Like what's the earliest indication 
in your life that you would end up an entrepreneur? I think it's a, a pretty common uh, story for entrepreneurs. I started, I, I'd say the first really entrepreneurial thing I did was I started going to Costco on the weekends and like buying candy in bulk and selling it on the bus, right? Which I think is like, I think a lot of, I've heard a, I've heard other people say they did that, but I did that. Um, and then I got like 10 other kids to do it. So we where, had all the buses. I grew up in Massachusetts, um, in uh, Dunstable, Massachusetts, like Northwest of Boston. Um, so I got this like candy ring going and it got, it got big enough that we you got, built we, the candy we, yeah, ring. I built the candy ring. We got shut down eventually cause it was by like, the school. yeah, we got shut down by the school cause we had it on like, you know, 15 different buses. We had kids and things and my, my dad was helping me and I'd say that's the other piece. Um, we were, we lived in Massachusetts because my dad, uh, was in technology. He's, he, he, his career was in semiconductors. Um, and you know, the, there's a, a highway, the 128 loop in Boston that that's very famous for that. And so that's why we lived there. Um, and so dinner conversations at my house were, were likely to be about business and definitely would be about new technology. Um, and so, you know, he definitely, I think supported that. Um, and if you go further back into my family history, um, on both sides, there's a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, there, there's a lot of people who have started businesses and, and, and have that, that, um, that kind of mind. Do you remember the best-selling candy? Mm. We, I remember selling now and later. Mm-hmm. It definitely wasn't that. Oh, it was Sour Patch Kids. Sour Patch Kids. Yeah. I remember the Sour yeah. Patch Kids for sure. Yeah. Um, did you sell now and later too? Yeah, I'm sure we had we had a, a, a very nice variety. Did you sell them in like little <laughs> little like Ziploc bags, different like combo packs? No, we were buying like the full boxes like a convenience yeah. store would buy, uh-huh. and then selling you know like individually wrapped. Yeah. yeah, we we did this at my school, but we would do we would combine like Sour Patch Kids, Now and Later's into like you can get, oh, you can get like, like a mix, a bundle, <laughs> we do a bundle. Nice. You started selling candy, talking at the dinner table about business, yep. um, technology. Where'd you go to college? So I went to the University of Florida, um, primarily because I wanted to leave the Northeast, yeah. and I wanted, um, I wanted like a very classic, a classically large college experience. Uh, I wanted to go to a college town. Um, and and got all of that certainly out of the University of Florida, and I think it was um, it was a good choice in again in fostering entrepreneurship because the University of Florida is so large; it is a city of of kids. It's you know it's fifty thousand kids, and that's they, they we you own the town, um, and the way that that sort of manifests in the things that you do, like sort of outside of the classroom, is that everything, every sort of function. Um, of this kind of makeshift city is run by the student body, which makes the budgets and scale of the things that you do like quite significant. So, uh, if you're if you're running in if you're in student government, which like you know I was sort of involved with, um, you know you've got a twenty million dollar operating budget, and like my fraternity had a million dollar operating budget, and. If you were involved in, um, like I did some work with, like, like, you know, you're booking bands and stuff, like you're booking shows for 15,000 people and it's like Snoop Dogg and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I guess like the Dave Matthews band, you know, like you're booking, you're doing like big stuff. Um, and, I, and so I got to do a lot of things there that taught me about sort of operations and organizations of, of people mm-hmm. at a fairly large scale with some real stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I 
and my friend group at the University of Florida, a, a good chunk of them were also also entrepreneurially minded. And so we were constantly coming up with schemes and talking about business business ideas and executed some of those schemes. <laughs> I mean, we 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 had like email acquisition schemes. We we did like you know uh, we we set up this thing to do door to door. Uh, flyer advertising through all the apartment complexes for like local businesses. Uh, we just would we would come up with these sort of ways that we could make money and buy beer and stuff. But uh, I, but I think it was a really valuable experience. In the most grandiose way of talking about it, does entrepreneurship mean for you? Creating something that doesn't exist in the world. What gets you excited about that? And what if you were talking to someone who's like not or is sort of getting interested in that, what's the sort of framing encouragement for them? It's helpful to think about the difference between entrepreneurship and more traditional business. Um, if you're if you're in more traditional business, you're going into a scenario, which is a company, where value has been created. Um, there's the potential to create more value. There's, to, there's the potential to optimize that value and, and drive efficiency through it. But what that company is that you've joined inherently exists for a reason and and the reason is that that product has been validated as like creating some value within the market um and as much as you can do um a lot of the foundation has been laid the difference the difference is in entrepreneurship um the act of entrepreneurship is a creative act it is, it is I, like I would describe it as the creative act of business. So your job as an entrepreneur is to be creative and, and the, the, the canvas in this case is, is a business. And so you have to figure out what all of the functions are, you know, what the product is, what the mar- market wants. And, and so um, I think people who are the best at it are those who, who – are business minded, but also highly creative. And, and that's the mix. And so, you know, that sounds sexy. Um, but I think, uh, but I think it's only suited to, to a fairly small set of people. What makes it so hard? And what, what, why do you think you've been okay dealing with that hardness? Or what, what have you learned about how to deal with that hardness? Well, what makes it so hard is that there is limited to no playbook on how to do it. You know, you, you can listen to all the podcasts and read all the books and all that stuff helps. Um, but the problem space inherently, because you're creating something that doesn't exist in the world, is, you know, unknown and there's a lack of visibility. Uh, so, so I, I mean, I think that's like just number one. It's just, it's, just, it's just murky all the time. You just don't know like what's coming around. Um, I think what makes me... Uh, good at it is that I'm pretty good at improvising uh, through each of those sort of murky steps. So, you know, we're somewhere, we try something that leads us to another six feet of visibility where I'm comfortable saying like, okay, I think I don't know what uh, all the next steps are, but I know what like the next foot in front is. Um, And I'm uh, pretty rigorous in developing a process for testing and learning so that the visibility increases sort of exponentially over time. Even if we're getting shit wrong, um, 
we are figuring out, you know, let's say like what we're bad at or what doesn't work in a, in a, in a very structured way. Um, so I, I think like, I, I think that suits me. Talk about that for a bit about the process of learning for in company building and yeah. like, what is the structure that you bring yeah. to it? There is a model for building startups that, that is, uh, I'll describe as like the natural model, which is you throw a bunch of shit against the wall all the time. Uh, and you're just trying stuff. And people, I think, in entrepreneurship or even in larger companies where they're tasked with like a new project or something, mm-hmm. tend to uh, see that there's like a creative act that needs to occur here where we need to come up with ideas. They'll come up with ideas and be like, okay, let's try that, let's try that, let's try that. Um, which uh, there's a part of that that's okay. Um, but what's more important important uh, and I think what what we try to do is um, create a framework which is um, you know w- what assumptions do we have uh, about what the problem is and how do we think we're going to solve it and here is a roadmap of all of the different things that we're going to do to test those assumptions um, uh, test solutions for those problems and measure the different the different growth uh, potential for those, and and so what we what I hate is and and you know we're we're guilty of this. This happens sometimes accidentally. Is when you spend three months doing a bunch of stuff and you just don't really know what happened. And so for us, it's about like being really methodical. Uh, we do you know we do pre-mortems, sit down and say like what are all the things that are going to go wrong? What are all the things that we want to go right? You know, what assumptions are we making here? Um, what are all the red flags in those? And then, you know, really structuring the work that we're doing on, an, on a weekly basis around solving for those, those things. Uh, as opposed to, so we're, in other words, the goal is to validate or invalidate tests. That's all we do all day. The goal is not to... Um, the goal is not to just like drive growth. Growth, growth that is not understood is is not valuable yeah. to me. Yeah. So 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 we're always thinking first about what do we know for sure? What have we learned for sure? What have we absolutely validated? That may or may not drive growth, but you know, growth is the ends, and we're much more focused on like the means of how we're getting there, so that it becomes repeatable. Concretely, how do you do this? Do you, like, who are you doing this with? Are you doing it in Google Docs? Are you doing it on whiteboards? Are you using other software that people may be interested in? We use Asana for project management tracking. I mean, I don't think the tools are are that important, frankly, as long as you're doing something consistently. You know, we use Asana. Sometimes it's Google Docs. We use Confluence for documentation of like you know. When things need to be memorialized, we use Confluence. When things are active, uh, so we're act- actively working on a project, we use Asana. What's Confluence? Confluence, it's it's from Atlassian, and it's basically a wiki for your company. Okay, yeah. And so once we've learned something, once a test is done and we have validated or invalidated, that should go in Confluence under you know, UI UX tests, and there should be a, a trail of all of the things we've ever done that are like documented there. And so what's an example of like a test that you guys have done that now lives in Confluence? A test that we would have done would be uh, like a pricing test where we would say, you know, our, we've been uh, we've been pricing this product at, at this margin in this way for a long time. 
and um, nobody knows why. <laughs> it, at some point, we just decided that that was the price, and so we're going to test uh, elasticity of demand at different price points to see like what that would do. Um, we sit down first, and we we spend time, and, and this is, I think, one of the important points here is like sit down with the team and and think through the testing environment and make sure that you're designing a testing environment that is sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're thinking about like, well, what, 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 what data could confuse the data that we're looking for from this test? Um, how might we, uh, you know, how, how are different variables in the market around demand? Like how could that mess with this test? Like how do we ensure that this is done in a really clean and as scientific as possible way? I mean, you can't be perfectly scientific, I think, in a startup. Um, and then run that over, uh, you know, a, a period of time where you, where you feel like you get a statistically significant amount of data, um, analyze all that, memorialize what we found out in Confluence, make a decision. And who do you have on your team that is doing this work with you? I sort of ask everybody to do this work. So if you are running a team at T Public, any team, the way that I expect you to run that team. How big is the company now? Just T Public side, I think there's like 55 of us, something like that. And what is it, what are people doing? So one team might be uh, artist acquisition and retention. Another team, you know, we work with podcasts and YouTubers and influencers who run merch stores through T Public. Another is consumer marketing, UI UX design. Um, it doesn't really matter. Um, the way that I expect each team to run is that every couple weeks or every month there are um, there are actions tactics that they are taking which are designed to test uh, sort of that th- th- that are tests that they're running to, to to figure out you know are these tactics going to to uh, move our okrs basically and to what extent mm-hmm. Um they could be things that we've done for a long time or things that are that are totally new and we're iterating through them. But but everybody should have an iterative process where it's like, what are we testing this month? Mm-hmm. And so you guys work on OKRs. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that and how you set them? We have, and we sort of just redid this. So we have three company OKRs, um, which everybody should sort of be mindful of that like we're sort of setting we're setting um, annually or biannually sometimes they need to change biannually and sometimes actually they can hold for the full year um, and then with those okrs in mind um, each team lead each director sets their own okrs no more than three for for their team um, that that gets sort of approved by their uh, whoever manages them at a more senior, probably executive level. Um, and then uh, the team breaks down those OKRs into um, we're going half year with those OKRs. I think for us, we find quarterly to be a bit fast. Mm-hmm. So these are your three OKRs for half the year. Uh, when are you going to do these things like when, when are these you know which objective are you focused on in this two or four week period um, we're checking in on that sort of monthly and quarterly to, to see where we're at we're doing green yellow red um, you know with those in addition to that we're doing green yellow red around KPIs at a company level and per team which we use to sort of trigger uh, say there was a KPI that was that used to generally be pretty consistently green and now it's red and we don't have an OKR 
to address that, we, 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 we have it to say, well, do we have the right OKRs? Because the data is telling us maybe that we don't. How did you learn all this? Because this is not like you really were sort of your career developed primarily in companies that you were creating. Yeah. Um, I think I learned it actively uh, where as particularly, well, I mean, the first thing is, and I, and I think that, you know, I think you would understand this. I mean, the first thing is I built my peer group and my friend group around around startups and around work. And so just like, you know, dinner conversations when I was growing up were about technology, dinner conversations now are about it and about starting businesses. So all my friends do this type of stuff as well. Um, and I had a community of people uh, who have or had worked at different stages uh, that I could rely on to talk to the way we're talking about like, well, how are you doing this and how are you doing that? Um, and importantly, not just what had worked for them, but what hadn't worked. Uh, I think I, I learned a lot from a lot of failed startups around the city uh, and, and things that like things not to do. Um, and then the other is being really active in reading, uh, you know, from the few sources that I think are credible on this kind of stuff. I mean, I think that there's, um, you know, you can read 25 books and only five of them are, are you're like, wow, this is, this person's got it. Like they've figured something out. Um, but I'll take, you know, but, but, th- but those are meaningful and, and, and sa- same with, you know, even just like content. I mean, I've just read a lot. I've listened a lot to a, a large variety of people who have built companies, um, and that has informed it. And, you know, I've also been through, um, you know, I've also been through three years of executive coaching, which, which has helped, which has helped as well. So, I mean, I think it's a lot of proactive uh, personal development to, to prepare myself to do these things. To your point, nobody was going to tell me how to do it directly. I didn't have a boss. As you're talking, I'm thinking about a lot of our partners, most of whom um, are not venture-backed. Um, who are building Shopify-style businesses that range from they're just getting going to they just broke 100K in revenue over the past 12 months or a million over the past 12 months. So they're at really different stages. Um, but they all have businesses that are fewer than 10 people. Um, or 95% fewer than 10 people where you're it's... It's, it's a bit different from some of the things that we were just discussing in terms of the testing framework and the organizational structures, but there's a, a, a common thread around a methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very hard, for, I think, for, for people to feel. I mean, I, even for as you're kind of I'm like, that sounds really, that sounds good, Adam. Like, that, sounds, that sounds like a nice tight ship yeah. um, and so often for for me it feels like I don't, I don't, we have not fully defined exactly like what are the parameters of this experiment and we're always doing our best to get better and better at what we do sometimes it's just like you just know what you have to do and you just got to go do it mm-hmm. um, and it's a little bit um, it's messier than um, the level of uh, sort of um, methodology that I think a lot of entrepreneurs aspire to have. Yeah. What's your thought of for just like I maybe just as like a 
really simple. What does it take to succeed for building an e-commerce business? So I think what I'm getting at, um, you know, that, that you're sort of circling is discipline. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and that it's not just e-commerce. It's yeah. if you want to build a startup um, and you want, to, you want it to be less chaotic and you don't want to sleep at the office and you want it to build in a way that, you know, you're laying bricks and the thing is getting taller and taller and taller it takes a tremendous amount of discipline. It's discipline around this sort of testing, you know, environment methodology that I'm talking about. It's discipline in uh, your marketing uh, and, you know, where you're spending money and what you're getting back on that. It's discipline around your, you know, uh, supply chain and production. You can apply the, the sort of methodology that I'm talking about, the sort of discipline that I'm talking about to everything. And that's why I'm saying I, I ask it of every team to, to function this way. Um, it doesn't have to be uh, as chaotic as it often is. And I think that, um, you know, it's like that quote, you know, if, if uh, somebody tells me to chop down a tree and I have six hours to do it, I'll spend the first four hours sharpening the saw. I'm four years into my second business right now, and I feel like I'm just starting to really get this. Mm-hmm. It gets much easier as you're making progress, I think. Mm-hmm. It's very hard when it feels like you're still trying to get to something to hold on to. Yeah, and I think I think the thing that I find myself, if I'm in an advisory role or if I'm coaching my own team on as it relates to this, is you know the purpose of the OKRs is not not to have like this laundry list of stuff that you want to do. It's to, it's to create hyper focus. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the sort of the, the messy middle, um, I think people can, can begin to get uncomfortable with the fact that maybe it's like, well, we've had our heads down and we're just doing this one thing, but we're not doing all this other stuff. Like that, that, that's what the, the startup of 10 or the startup of five always feels like. Well, I can't just focus on that one thing. I have to focus on all these other things too. I got to keep all the balls in the air. And I think that the, the, to me, the real purpose of OKRs is to reject that notion and say, actually, you don't have time to do 10 things well. You have time to do one thing well. And if you could figure out one prong of this business, that would be a miracle. <laughs> And you need to define the testing environment for how you're going to do that and commit and then put your head down and shut up and just do that exclusively. And, and people start to get anxiety, I think, th- as that goes on and on and on. Like, are, you know, like, we've just been working on this thing and like, are we getting anywhere? It's like, well, we said we were going to spend three months on the handle for the bag. So let's do it. Let's actually spend three months on the handle for the bag. And if you do that, I mean, I can say with many years of experience, you're always glad to have done that. (laughs) You're always like, I wish we had just spent six months on that one problem. In retrospect, it always seems like, why would we, why did we not do that? How have we still not figured out the handle? And also it's, it just, it, it takes some time to get the machine moving. And if you're trying to get a machine moving with like, 20% 20% of your time, it never gets moving. Yep. And so it's like, there's a moment where it's like, I'm going to go a hundred percent to get the machine moving. And then once it's moving, I'm actually going to be able to keep it moving with yes. 20, 30, 40% of my time and get all the benefit. But if I don't go a hundred percent on it, yeah. then I won't be there. 
And that's all for part one. Join us next week when we talk with Adam further about how he built T Public using community and how he thinks about driving growth today. You're going to love it. Stay tuned.